I'm going to ask you at this time if you can uh, stand with me, and we're going to read together the uh, passage that we're looking at this morning. It's from uh, Romans uh, chapter 12. I think what I'll do is I'm going to read the first two verses that are a review from last uh, last week, and then as I begin reading verse 3, why don't you join me and we'll read these words in unison. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same, Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. Teaching, then teach. If it is encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Thanks. Please be seated. A few weeks ago, Marty and I really enjoyed a uh, contribution that a friend of ours uh, made in the Trumpet uh, magazine. That's a little uh, magazine that comes from the Peace River Bible Institute. And uh, the uh, writer was uh, Ruth N. Long-time friend and was also a classmate of uh, mine when we graduated. Well, this uh, year she was chosen to receive Alumnus of the Year Award. And I quote from what she wrote. She said, when Dr. Waldy told me I was picked for the Alumnus Award, I was stunned. Because alumni people of the year have to have done something wonderful, and I haven't done anything wonderful. The Lord seemed to say, I have chosen you to represent all of the ordinary alumni. And I thought, I can do that. And then she says, I want to leave you with a verse that I hope you will never forget. It's 2 Corinthians 8.12. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. And she says, let's take out the hats. But what do I have? And she says, I can talk. As a little girl of two, I would sit on the students' laps 
and entertained entertained them with my chatter. Now, a bit of background there. She was growing up on, on the campus because her mom and dad were both on staff at the school. So here's this little uh, two-year-old uh, chatting with the older students. And she says, looking back, I realized that what a huge gift that was to me. It gave my little soul confidence that people would like me. What a gift. And she says, God planned and gave us the abilities and disabilities that we have. You and I will reach people that no one else can. If there is a willing mind, our Father will take what we have and use that and not expect us to do things he didn't equip us for. He will use you and me to do his kingdom work and there's nothing more exciting or rewarding than being in cahoots with God Almighty. My prayer is that we will be ordinary alumni with willing minds reaching lots of other ordinary people for him. I think that's where we all are, right? We are, we are ordinary people. And it helps us to remember that. And I think that was wisdom on her part to think in those terms. Well, the series that uh, I've chosen to, uh, to, re to refer to these passages under the following heading, that being a, being a people of influence. Being a people of influence. Um, and last week I pointed out that the measure of our uh, people that are significant and the people of our uh, significance is about people, Right? Uh, are we significant? Well, it's all about people. You know, serving, make me a servant. Teaching, winning, building up, encouraging people. Our significance is about the way we influence people. And uh, where those qualities that are mentioned in Romans chapter 12, where there are those characteristics in a people, they are a people of influence and a people of significance. It doesn't matter the numbers at that point. You may be a large congregation, you may be a small congregation or a mid-sized congregation, but if we reflect those qualities, be we 40 people or 400 people, we are then a people of significance. Last week, verse 1, being a people who offer ourselves, offer up your bodies a living sacrifice, dedication, being fully dedicated. And uh, what goes into that is serving one another. I think it's very significant that as soon as Paul has explained what we might think of those major points of being fully dedicated, and then the next verse is about being different, being transformed people. Right away, he talks about body life. That somehow in making our dedication practical, it means serving one another so that the body of Christ will be strengthened. And then also in verse 2, he talks about being transformed by the renewing of our minds, and I would strongly propose that that transformation cannot reach its potential if we live in isolation. 
if we are one Christian by ourselves without having the kind of fellowship and the serving one another that's talked about in the verses that follow. And so as he begins with verse 3, then Paul starts with verse 3, brings in what seems to be his favorite metaphor for the church. He talks about us being like the human physical body, where he says we have many different parts, many different moving parts, but they need to be coordinated to work well, and they are dependent on one another. Verse 5 is like almost a summary statement of the whole paragraph. And, uh, and I want to wrap my thoughts around uh, the respective phrases in verse 5. He says, So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. These three phrases are going to be part of the three, are going to uh, direct our three points. Uh, Many, okay, many parts. And then one body. And then belongs to all the others. The many. And that suggests diversity. Diversity is the main point here. Many as in many different parts. And he's com- the comparison is to our physical bodies. When you think about the many, many, many different parts of our bodies. Amazing, really. Uh, diversity. Diversity of function. Of appearance. Of uh, obvious importance and then the things that are hidden and are not that important. Uh, I don't know if they've discovered the need for the appendix yet or not beyond, uh, be, beyond being an infant, but, you know, there are things we still don't know, right? And, uh, and yet so significant. And so he's saying uh, the body of Christ is like that, all kinds of different functions, different in appearance, uh, some very obvious, others are hidden, and yet, all, uh, and yet likewise significant. And I think it's great what the first thing that Paul mentions here is to have a realistic self-evaluation. And here he's in the, it's in the context of gifts, in the context of ministries. What, what can be your part in the body? And he says, I, I, you know, for the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith. The danger is that of having an inflated view of our importance. But rather, he says, let it be a sober evaluation. Not inflated, not deflated either. But assess yourself in an objective way, according to the standard of the faith. And I would say too that not in isolation I'm saying that if we are in isolation we're not going to have a proper view of ourselves. in fact I would even suggest that uh, as we live in isolation we become overly self-focused I mean who else can we focus on and probably begin to see ourselves as more important than we really are but in the rough and tumble of relating to one another the likelihood of a sober objective self-evaluation is going to be greater. 
And I think Ruth Enns brought to her attention uh, quite a few things related to that very thing, an awareness of being ordinary, <laughs> like we all are really when it comes right down to it. And also the awareness that, hey, though I'm ordinary, I'm still usable. There's something that I can do for the Lord. The confidence that something will be accomplished, because she quotes that verse that if a person is willing, then it's, a, it's about what, what the person has, not about <laughs> what the person wishes he had. And then, of course, that evaluation of herself came about because of the way she had related to people, right? It's in our experience of relating to one another we begin to discover ourselves. And so when it comes to the gifts, sober self-evaluation, well, uh, he talks, beginning at verse 4, he goes into the reality of the many different gifts for just as each of us has one body with many members, and then on in Christ. So in Christ we, though many, form one body. We are many. We have, verse 6, we have different gifts. Different gifts, which are capacities for serving. Now, I wonder if we have a bit of a tendency to, to think of all the wonderful gifts in operation by looking beyond ourselves. You know, we look at the parachurches maybe, uh, or we look at other churches that are larger maybe, or thinking of uh, the strength of denominations and so on and so forth. But I suggest that practically speaking, the focus should be on the local church. All these many different gifts and ministries, capacities within the local church. That's where the action has to be. And so he talks about gifts related to the communication of truth. Gifts related to leadership. Gifts related to encouragement and showing mercy. Uh, gifts related to practical service. He even lists making a contribution to the needs of others. Now personally, there's a lot of things we don't, I don't understand about gifts and different, many different views of it. I take the position that uh, this list is not exhaustive and that any special capacity that you have that can be used for the kingdom and to strengthen the church can be seen as a spiritual gift. Used, even as, uh, even as Ruthie said, I can talk. Well, there's no, there's no spelling out here saying the gift to talk. But of course it does relate to other things like encouragement or uh, prophecy or teaching. But any capacity that you have that can be used to be a blessing to others can be seen as a gift. Some that are mentioned here, prophecy. Uh, and I take that to be communicating insight that is helpful to the time. Uh, speaking truth into the current situation. Uh, that would be being able to relate truth to where the action is, to life. But it must be according to the standard of truth. It's got to be according to the faith. I was intrigued and uh, fascinated and a bit thankful and uh, many different feelings uh, just a couple of weeks ago where on national news, CTV national news, uh, it was covered the uh, testimony of a couple of evangelists that believe that uh, God wants 
their flock to provide them with uh, luxury aircraft. You know, um, they need uh, they need better jets, and uh, somehow they can't handle flying commercial, and they already have some of their own. But they need to upgrade their their their, their uh, jets. And uh, I was kind of intrigued in a way. I was glad that this is being known, and I appreciate at CTV they were not negative they were neutral about it they were just letting the people speak for themselves they'd add some little comment but it was part of the observation and yet i could tell that uh, lisa laflamme it's like she had a bit of a smirk on her face but she didn't make any negative comments i don't want to say sometimes uh, secular people are wiser than christians when it comes to recognizing inconsistency and I suggest that a, a great deal of the secular world recognizes that there's something wrong with this picture when in the name of Jesus, luxury is being promoted. And yet there are many vulnerable people, vulnerable Christians, who fall for that kind of thing. Prophecy must be according to the standard of the faith. And we need to be alert regarding the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. A good friend of ours uh, who's been a missionary in uh, Ethiopia, Paul and Lila Beliski, she had something to say about that that helps to explain how people can fall for that. Having been a missionary in a setting where people are poor, where people are struggling just to have existence, she can understand how easy it is to fall for that kind of teaching. That if the Lord gets hold of you and you do His will, you're going to be wealthy. And she says, God be merciful to all of us. And so we can understand why people are vulnerable. And not to be critical of the people for being vulnerable, but be alert. And let any word that seems to be a word of prophecy be measured by the standard of truth. And then he talks about serving or ministering, depending on your translation. And uh, that's actually a word that we get our word deacons from. And originally that word referred to waiting on tables. And the commentator uh, that I read said uh, that it was interesting that this word precedes teaching. And I uh, said that it's not often that a, t- a table waiter, that table waiters are ranked above theology professors. <laughs> You know, serving come next, and then teaching. And then he goes on to say, undoubtedly, it's due to the remembrance of Jesus himself, who exalted service of others over self. Washing the feet of this disciple, for example, waiting on tables. Well, deacons are servants. And then teaching, keeping us on track according to the standards of the whole counsel of God. And I've on a practical way, I'm distinguishing, distinguishing prophecy and teaching on that basis, that prophecy would be a little more of a speaking truth into the situation that we really need to liven up. And then teaching, being teaching of the whole counsel of God to help keep us on track. Encouragement, wow, what a, what a wonderful capacity. And I'm sure that all of you can point to instances where someone just gave you what you needed at the time, that word of encouragement. And some people have a special capacity for that. 
And then he talks about leadership, talks about showing mercy, talks about uh, being generous with our giving. And uh, there's no suggestion here at all that one of these is more important than the other. We may rate some as more important. Some, by their very nature, are going to be public in their display. Others are behind the scenes. But there's no suggestion here that any one is more valuable than the other. True. But we all have something that we can give. I mean, who's to say that the quiet prayer of a shut-in is of lesser importance than the upfront ministry of the pastor or the worship leader? Who's to say that anything that was said publicly this morning is more important than some quiet word of encouragement that one of you gave to someone else after church? We need them all. Diversity. They differ in their functions, but not necessarily in their value. But these can only be helpful. These will only work the way they're supposed to work, where the body functions as a coordinated whole. And that's the second point. One body, one body. Coordination. Each of us has one body with many members. We who are many form one body. In a healthy body, the many parts work together in harmony. Many moving parts, but one coordinated whole. And we see examples so regularly of where the physical body is not coordinated anymore. Think of the tragic Humboldt crash and the many players that lost their lives, but others again who uh, had spinal injuries and the signal doesn't get through. Um, my sister told me recently about uh, being out for dinner with some friends in Grand Prairie. Uh, I'm so glad that they can have fellowship uh, in, in the situation because the, the wife is suffering from Parkinson's. And uh, Bernice mentioning how that, you know, her body is all over and that she needs to cling to, to her husband. And, uh, but uh, like I say, great that she can cling to her husband and great that they can still have fellowship with people. But somehow the signals aren't getting through. And so you have these involuntary uh, movements of the body instead of it being a coordinated whole or the uncoordinated speech that uh, is the result of a stroke. Again, I assume, I'm just a layperson, I'm not a medical expert, but I assume it has something to do with the signals not getting through. Uh, impaired driving, or Im being impaired, something to do with the signals not getting through. If I seem to slur my words this morning when I talk to you, I, it's not because of alcohol, but maybe I'm a little tired or just, just getting old. But that's an experience, too, that as we are very tired, maybe the signals aren't getting through, and so it's, easy. it's more difficult to come. When the body is healthy, it operates as one coordinated whole, 
as one body, and so in the body of Christ, lived out in the local congregation, if healthy, it will function as a coordinated whole. There will be unity. And the importance of this is stressed in many different passages. First uh, Corinthians, the Apostle Paul come down, comes down very hard on this. I think, first of all, of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 10. And uh, the background for this is that the uh, congregation has started to polarize around various leaders. And uh, some are saying that we, we are for Peter, someone else is we are for Apollos, and someone else again, we for Paul. And, and uh, the Apostle Paul laments this, and then he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, in the same purpose. The body has to function in a coordinated way. In chapter 3, he even calls them immature, as living, living just like the unconverted are living. He's saying, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit but a people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Unconverted. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Calls them children in the faith, immature in the faith, because they're not united. But they're polarized into different groups. Ephesians 4, 3, well-known verse. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. I think of our, the vision statement we have in our bulletin that together, together, we are, devote, we, are, we are working together to make devoted followers of Jesus Christ. But we've got to do it together, togetherness. And, uh, you know, unless you have that, there isn't going to be any progress. We're not going to grow in Christ. We're not going to be transformed. We're not going to grow in our capacity to serve one another or as I said, to be contributing to making devoted followers of Jesus Christ, being ministers together. Our progress goes on hold when we're not coordinated. But not only that, we cannot expect to see new people come into our ranks. I mean, why would they? Most people already have enough conflict in the rest of their lives, so why would they come and settle into a church where they will be adding tensions to the ones they already have. But there's something else here at the bottom. And that is that in our groupness, in our one body experience, we have the opportunity and there is the expectation that we exhibit the gospel. And the gospel is the gospel of reconciliation. 
sin separates. But the gospel is the gospel of reconciliation, which of course is about bringing people together. Where there was alienation, there is now togetherness. And that becomes such an important part of the witness, of the um, credibility of the gospel. I think of Jesus' prayer in uh, John 17, where you have that very long prayer that he makes. And as he prays for those who are going to follow uh, him and after he's gone, and those who later will be following him, he prays and he says, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. For a moment, think. Just let your mind wander a little bit here. <laughs> not saying it doesn't already wander. But think about all the conflict around the world. I mean, uh, right now the attention is on the G7 here, in the, uh, just over in, in Quebec City. I would say that the conflict there is mild compared to what is happening in so many parts of the world, where you have the caste system, and where you have persecution against Christians, where you have uh, women having absolutely no power at all. Those who are powerful are... are well, they have the last word over everything. And then the breakup of nations and the wars. And then there's the conflict within homes. And so often it's the children that are hurt. All of this alienation, which is part of the sin curse. That's exactly the result of sin, and it is sin. And then you have the opportunity so that when people take a look at us, where they can see the opposite, where they can see reconciliation, where they can see unity, and it is such a contrast to what the world is like. I think it helps us to understand how, how Jesus could pray that way, so then when they see this unity, the world will know that you said that. When they see reconciliation, when they see the bringing together, of those who would otherwise be in conflict, then the world will know. And so when we demonstrate the opposite, then there's that contrast. But apart from which, a church can hardly be significant in its influence. Many parts, diversity, one body, coordination, but then finally, that phrase belongs to all the others. And I've chosen to call that, number three, joint ownership. And uh, when I first thought I wanted to use that term, I, I figured, well, maybe it's not appropriate. Maybe joint uh, membership just has to do with two people owning, you know, things like in your, uh, maybe your uh, checking account or something where we have joint ownership. But I decided to look it up. And this is what it says in a state law, joint tenancy is a special form of ownership by two or more persons of the same property. The individuals who are called joint tenants share equal ownership of the property and have equal undivided right to or dispose of the property. The property here that we're talking about is ourselves with our gifts, right? Now, we are used to hearing 
that as individual Christians, we belong to the Lord, right? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. I talked about that last week. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. We're used to that, okay? He owns us. But here it says that in our relationship, the one to another, it's like there's a joint ownership here. He says in verse 5, each member belongs to all the others. Joint ownership. You know, in my younger years, we used to sing this very catchy song with a very catchy tune. If you know the Lord, you need nobody else. Remember that? Got white hair? You probably do. To see you through the road marked right. Uh, take time to pray and so on. And then uh, as you're moving on, he'll guide you. You know, it's basically true, but there's one line in there that it's not true. If you know the Lord, you need nobody else to see you through. It's not true. We need one another. And we have a claim on one another. Joint ownership. True of what it means to be made in the image of God. God is a trinity. And to be made in the image of God is that there's that need for fellowship. Fellowship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we have that image, so we too need fellowship. And it's doubly true for Christ followers because to be born again is to be born into the family. Mutual dependence, even mutual ownership joint ownership. That means that we have a claim on fellow believers. That means if I withhold myself from the lives of others, from fellow believers, I'm depriving others of what they're entitled to. I'm depriving them of something that would benefit them. And on the other side of the coin, it means I cannot be my best as a Christian unless I am in fellowship with other believers. Biblical. That's our experience. Being transformed, as it says in verse 2, will not happen to its full extent without experiencing fellowship with other believers. We need one another. Going ownership. I want to close with two considerations that highlighting what I've already been saying. But A, it is in our togetherness, experiencing an active body life, that we become our best. Maximum transformation can then take place. And this section about gifts is not specifically or primarily about outreach. It's about being at our best amongst ourselves, and then we can be effective in our influence elsewhere. But in a more extended section here uh, about that very thing in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul talks about the use of gifts, but in different ways he's talking about edification being so, 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 so important, building up one another in the faith. And then this verse summarizes it really, really well. Verse 26 in chapter 14. He says, everything must be done so that the church is built up. Everything must be done so that the church is built up. Ministering together and becoming more effective as servants. And then B, it is in our groupness. It's in our plurality 
uh, it's in our corporate entities that we will have the greatest impact on the world. I mentioned a few weeks ago about uh, beautiful eyes and pointing out that my wife has beautiful brown eyes. And, uh, and then I made the point, and I think you'll remember it, that eyes are beautiful only when they're in place, right? Eyes would not be beautiful outside of the head, outside of the body. And I suggest that it's like that with you and me. We're, you know, we're ordinary people, but it's in our togetherness as Christians where they see that kind of harmony, which is so, such a contrast to what's going on out there. When they see how we love one another, that is where Christian church become attractive. Our attractiveness to the world is not mainly in the beauty of the solo, but in the richness of the orchestra. Togetherness. John, as Jesus said in John 17 in his prayer, may they be brought to complete unity. But then another verse that is so well known, John 13, 35, by this everyone will know that you are my How if you love. Ministers together. Servants together. I'd like to close with just a human interest observation that came from a Christian leader, oh, he was talking about 20 years ago. His name is Frank Philippoff. And uh, we had him speak at uh, one of our conferences. And uh, he's a good speaker, and he has a lot of cute little uh, quips to make. And one of them was, he says, you know, you can call me Frank, you can call me pastor, you can call me anything you want, but, but don't call me the minister, because I, if I'm the minister, then who are you? <laughs> you want to preserve the teaching that we are ministers. Lord, we are ministers together. We pray that we might gain insight and encouragement and help in becoming more effective as we minister together, as we minister to one another, that we can become that strong and attractive orchestra that plays your wonderful hymn. We ask that in Jesus' name, but that we really might be serving. Amen.